thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. For more information, log on to quinley.com. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome to episode 60 of Thread. We are at the end of the Gospel of Mark, and this episode comes to you from Chiang Rai, northern Thailand, where the monsoon rains have come, and everything is absolutely beautiful. Uh, I'm here in a nation that is 1% Christian, and this episode is going to be about missions. Wait, don't touch that dial. I have a friend that wrote a book, and in the title of his book, he used the word missionary, and his publisher pulled him aside immediately and said, that's the death of the book. We've got to change the name, because that name just has too much baggage. Uh, people are not interested. They're bored with the idea of missions. Well, I hope you'll listen to this episode of Thread. Stick with it, because you need to understand your own faith, and we need to think um, with strategy about missions. I'm here in Asia where my family is living out our lives, and Asia has 81% of the non-Christian people of the world, 81%. And the global church continues to spend about 5% of its energy, its missions, and its money in this region of the world. So we need to talk about re-strategizing for missions, but even understanding why we do missions. Every religion doesn't do missions. Uh, So we want to talk about that today. So if you don't have your Bible, come back. We're in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 to the end. You'll never have a Hindu come and knock on your door and ask you to consider Hinduism as your faith. And you will never have an Asian Buddhist approach you to to talk to you about dedicating your life to be a disciple of Buddha and to follow him every day and to, to give him your life. We are, if you're going to understand Christianity, you have to understand we are an evangelizing religion. Why are we an evangelizing religion? Uh, the Jews didn't seem to evangelize very much in Judaism. You know, They were told to uh, have a place in the temple that was open for the Gentiles, a whole court for the Gentiles. When Solomon dedicated the temple, he prayed about um, that the Gentile nations would hear of the greatness of God, and because of what they hear, they will come to that temple, and they will pray to this one great God. And Solomon asked the, the Father to hear their prayers so that his name would be great among the nations. Now, we know when God spoke to Abraham, he spoke to him about being a blessing to the nations, but... By and large, you don't see aggressive evangelism in the name of uh, Jehovah coming from Jewish people in the Old Testament. They fought their neighbors, they tried to remain pure and untouched by the world, and they, you know, they nailed down their boundaries and tried to keep others out. And I think in the culture war, we're kind of doing the same thing. We're fighting for survival, and we're more just trying to not become worldly ourselves. But our master gave us a commandment. It's, it's central to our faith. It's not something that's peripheral. It's the, the great um, conclusion of this gospel. And it's the, it's the heart of what the people of God are supposed to be engaged in. So let's just read it from the words of Jesus. Okay, so here's the text. 
And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. It's in all four gospel accounts that as Jesus was preparing his church for uh, their mission, he made it really clear. He didn't emphasize that their mission was to stay unspotted, although he had told them that already. Uh, He emphasized this very first word, go. Actually, let's break down verse 15 because it's it's really crucial. And I think the church has, every time we wander from this, we mess it all up. And so we've got to reclaim evangelism or we don't understand what church is about. And because we won't understand it, then we'll create some new thing. And that's, by and large, what I think we've done. Anywhere the body of Christ appears to be sick, and you can judge for yourself if your local church is healthy, and if the experience that you're having as a disciple is um, in your church life is making you more of a disciple, connecting you more daily to an experience with Jesus Christ, or is it just entertaining you and keeping you busy and... Uh, Anyway, don't get me started. Okay, let's break it down. So the first word in the Great Commission to the church, the only commission, the only mandate to Christian people all over the world, the first word is go. Now, this is totally different than the thought that we're going to have an awesome worship service, kind of in Old Testament thinking, and everything, you know, the power of God's going to be there, and then everyone is supposed to come into the church and there they're going to find God, and that's how we will evangelize. And that's, I think, how most churches tend to practice it. Jesus said, no, I want you to do it differently. I want you to go out from the temple concept, out of your house, out of your comfortable routine that you're in every day, because that's usually what sticks us. And I want you to force yourself out in the going out. You're going with your eyes open to see who the Lord will put in your path and to find a way to initiate a conversation. So that's what he's telling us to do. We're to go to the nations, go to our neighbors, go to the nations, and initiate conversation. You know, there's the local side of missions where we are in our own nations, in our own community, to be seeking for people that God will bring us to. And then there's international missions where we have to become a part. If you're going to be a Christian, you need to be part of global missions. And you find you a group, if you're not called to go, then I can already tell you, you're called to send and you're called to pray. And so you find somebody who is doing the Great Commission work, they're doing gospel work, and now your job at your employment becomes double meaningful because not only is it a way to provide for your family's needs, but it is a way for you to provide the gospel for people who are not going to hear it. We go, we initiate That's the calling of God on the church. Number two, he says, I want you to go into all the world. Now, there's your scope. We have to cover the planet. And uh, 
the other Gospels mention the word nations, and the word nation in the Greek is uh, ethnos, it's ethnic groups. So that not every political nation, but within every political nation, there are pockets of people, and they have a different culture, and they speak different languages often. So he said, every one of these ethnic groups, I want you to go to all of them, every single one of them. Take a map of the world, look at where we've gone, look at where we have not gone, turn our resources toward that part of the world, and now we're going to be obeying the Great Commission to go into all the world. The truth is, my friends, 85% of all Christian missions endeavor is aimed at an existing Christian to change their brand of Christianity because we believe that they're not truly born again. They're just in a form of Christianity, often uh, Eastern Orthodoxy, Coptic, uh, Catholic, something that is formal in its religion, and so evangelistic Christians go to them, and they go to their nations. That's 85% of all Christian missions work. On top of that, uh, the American church does about 85% of all of its work within four hours of America. Why? It's convenient for the um, short-term teams to go, and the prices are cheaper. So we just go Latin America over and over and over and over, and I love Latin America. My daughter served in Bolivia working with street kids. But, I mean, there's, there's churches all through Latin America. You cannot say that Latin Americans themselves cannot reach their people and cannot serve the needs of their nations to hear the gospel. So to just continue spending virtually all of our energy and all of our effort going back to, it's like uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and everybody's sitting there, they're all hungry, they're all in need, And just imagine that the disciples fed the first row 50 times, just kept feeding that row. No, please take more. I'm so full, I can't eat. Please, please, take more, take more. And then after a while, you can start talking about the apathy of the people in this first row. They don't seem to, they seem to be gospel hardened. They don't seem to care about, you know, the Lord anymore. And it's like, gee whiz, you fed them to death. Look at the rest of the crowd. Look back in the line. Oh, well, they're far. It's hard to get back there. Yes, it's hard. Start walking because the master said, go, go into all the world. Okay, so when I go, what is it I'm supposed to do? There's a lot of pushing, you know, for uh, humanitarian work. And and honestly, no one can look, no Christian can look at a person with need and do nothing. Your heart stirs you and tells you you have a duty to the poor. We know that instinctively. We are called into uh, mercy ministry. We're called into ministry of justice. These are very important things. However, if someone is lost and you give them water and that's all you give them, you didn't really do them a massive favor. They're going to be thirsty again tomorrow and they're still lost. And if you keep uh, giving them water and food every single day of their life, now they're still going to die unprepared to face the Lord. So the, what we could call the, the social mandate to help fix people's lives, it has to be seen as a secondary priority to the proclamation mandate. Because when you said, okay, Lord, what are we supposed to do when we go to all the nations? You know, How many wells do we drill? How many pair of shoes do we give out? And he says, I'm telling you clearly what I want you to do. Proclaim 
the gospel. Now, a man who's hungry can't listen to you preach because he's hungry. Okay, feed the man. Jesus did that. But he refused to feed the man every single day, that that was going to be his new occupation as they showed up for tomorrow's food, and you build this dependency situation. I mean, Jesus didn't tolerate that for one day. He said, okay, God will help you. If you'll give your life to the Lord, there'll be redemption and lift. You'll stop your drinking. You'll stop your womanizing. You'll quit your gambling. You'll focus on your children. You will build a life, and the Holy Spirit will anoint you, and your life is going up. So if you want to know how to improve people's life, they have to be changed on the inside. You can't just throw money. We've tried this. The world has thrown money at the third world needs for the last 60 years. And there's been some some changes. We thank God for all those changes. But the changes happen as people become uh, more entrepreneurial, take charge of their life, stop their vices. It's a heart change. And that's what Jesus offers them, and the other things will fix themselves after that. So yes, we do mercy ministry. No, that is not the primary um, agenda for the people of God. He says, I want you to proclaim. I want you to broadcast this as broadly as possible. What am I broadcasting, Lord? It's a communications calling. I'm calling you to communicate. All right, what am I going to communicate? Communicate the gospel. Okay, so now he's giving me the content of my message. Okay, what's the gospel? The gospel is this glorious message from God. It is a promise of change that your life does not have to keep going the way it's going. You can change. You can be changed. It's a promise about pardon. Everything you've ever done that you're ashamed of, will be wiped away by God. He is going to erase all that you have done that's evil and all that you have done that you regret. He is going to take it all away from you. It's a promise of adoption. You will not be left alone to fight this battle with your own skills. The Father will take you into His family, and you're going to become part of His family. Adoption, it's a promise to you. It's a promise of protection. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Why? Because now you're a child of God. These promises of God, and there's so many, there's someone said 30,000 promises, but they're promises to the people of God. So you got to get on the inside before all these wonderful promises can work for you. But we're not finished. It's a proclamation, a promise about provision. Your Father knows what you need. He will feed you. He will care for you. He will show you the way to uh, make a living, the way to feed your family. He will show you how to do this. It's a promise of fellowship, that you you will have an intimacy, a walk with God, a walk with the Lord. On the inside of you, you will feel this unity as God communes with you, and He will establish you in fellowship with other people who are walking on this same path. So he gives you this beautiful spiritual family that a lot of times it's, it's healthier than your natural family. We all know we're called to our natural family. We're going to love them and work for our natural family. Everybody knows that. That's, that's clear in the scriptures. But sometimes your family's messed up and they don't minister back to you. And so it's a, for a lot of us, it's a one-way street of reaching out and trying to help and resource our families. 
but in the family of God, there are people taking care of you too. It's this beautiful flow of fellowship, and I'm so grateful for it all around the world. I have a great natural family, but I haven't lived near my natural family for most of my life. I've been in the nations, and God has given me beautiful family everywhere that I've gone, so I've got both. Um, the gospel comes, and it's not just promises. It's also a call to action. As God reaches to the person whose life is off track, and he calls them to turn around, he tells them what to do. He calls them to turn around. He calls them to repent. He calls them to uh, escape the coming judgment on everyone who is, who is opposed to God. And the Lord says, leave them, come to me. But you do have to leave them. You can't just stay there and continue to live in that way and pray some little prayer and think that everything is now changed with God. It doesn't work that way. Repent. Leave your life of sin. The gospel tells you that. The gospel issues you an invitation to enter the kingdom of God, to leave the world that you've been in and to enter the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful message. I mean, who doesn't want to give that message out? And to the extent that churches stay focused on that point, they prosper, they grow, people's lives are changed, there's movement. And to the extent that churches quit evangelizing, now we're into bottle-feeding Christian people. We're into the Christian cruise on this, on this cruise line. you got the Christian day at the, this theme park. you got Christian everything. And it's like, are we entertained yet? Are we happy now? Uh, are we alive? Is our life being changed? Well, it's not going to be changed by that. And if you're bored as a Christian, it's probably because you're not discipling anybody. If you're leading people to Christ and you're working with their lives to bring them to the new place that God has called them, I can tell you, it's an exciting life to live in. So the me-centered Christian life, sure, that, that, runs out of, uh, that runs out of energy eventually, and it's not the life that we're called to live. So if you want more, get back into the Great Commission. Okay, well, you know, let's look at the next word. He said, I want you to take the gospel to the whole creation, okay? So now we know who the recipients are. The recipients of this message, the ones to whom the gospel invitation is addressed, that is everyone who's been created by God the Father to the ends of the earth. So we need to be strategic in what we're doing, and we need to focus on where lost people are, where unreached people are, and go find them. Verse 16, he's very clear. If you believe the gospel... If you turn and repent, if you're baptized, that's all part of your turning and repenting. Whoever believes and is baptized, a promise from God, will be saved. Nothing else needed. Whoever believes, turns, is baptized, will be saved. Whoever does not believe this message will be condemned. It's that clear. It's that clear in Scripture. We don't need to say, well, I don't really know if there's a hell. I don't really know. Read your Bible. Either you believe the Bible or you don't. If you don't believe the Bible, then okay, I don't know. You can make some philosophical argument for hell, against hell, whatever. But if you decide that you're going to live by the Scriptures, then let the Scriptures inform you about what is true and right and just. And don't argue back with God and don't decide that you know, we are somehow smarter and more just and more fair than God is because whatever, uh, whatever concepts of fairness 
and justice that we might have as twisted, self-centered people, any, any truth in our concepts of justice came from somewhere else. It didn't come from us. And it came from the Father who is absolutely, eternally just. I trust God in the judgment. He knows what he's doing. He knows why he does what he does. And if I was God, I would see it his way. So I'm assuming my position as his disciple and, praise God, now also as his son, eternally part of his family. Verse 17, he talks about people on the mission, and he says there's going to be signs. These are the signs that accompany people who believe. If you believe, you're saved. He already said that. If you believe, you're in the mission of the church, and if you're doing those things, you're going to see some signs. You're going to have the power in his name to cast out demons. You will speak in new tongues, new languages. The language of prayer is available to every Christian, I believe. Every Christian, if you're a true believer, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. He will baptize you and bring you into all the gifts of the Spirit that God has for you. And I believe that prayer language is just a part of a basic equipment that's inside of every Christian. It's like a spring that's all covered up with rocks. And you can know these experiences It's just to get yourself in a situation where you can receive. Get in the quietness, get in the worship, get in the seeking posture, and God will fill you and you also will see these signs. I love verse 18. Uh, Hillbillies have twisted this and made sport out of it in the last century. They will pick up serpents with their hands, uh, he's saying, and not be bitten. The point is not a bunch of maniacs in a church service playing with snakes. I mean, that's just stupid. Who would do that and think that this is part of God's call on his church? Uh, I love if you can translate this text out of the original. It reads more like uh, that the job of these people is clearing the land of snakes, that there's a, you know, the snakes have invaded. The snake's always, you know, symbol of evil and Satan. And so Satan has invaded the snake spirit, Things. They've all they've invaded this evil force and power has invaded into the lives of people. And Jesus says, when you go into your snake clearing mode, you will have authority over these snakes. They're going to want to bite you. They're going to want to hurt you, but they won't be able to because he's giving us power since we're on the mission. So spiritual warfare, that is your uh, birthright and is what God has called you into go into it. If they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Many missionaries can tell you stories of tainted food and even being intentionally poisoned by people they're trying to reach out to, and God's grace was on them. The end of that, the healing ministry, they'll lay hands on sick people, and the sick people will recover. Jesus said these things, verse 19 went up, and this is an Old Testament concept that is repeated often in the scriptures about Jesus. He sat down at the right hand of God. He's in his place. He is settled. The matter is done. He is in a position of power. All authority belongs to him. He is at God's right hand. And now, verse 20 is what we need to be doing. They went out and preached everywhere. They went out and good newsed everywhere. While the Lord worked with them, and he confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Love the concept. We're out there doing the ministry. We're out there in the harvest field. The Lord is in the harvest field with us, and he is backing us up. We are casting out demons. How? Because the Lord cast them out. 
we are clearing the snakes. Why? Because the Lord gives us the power to clear the snakes. But he is there with us in the harvest field to set people free. That's the gospel. That's the kingdom of God. That's the church. That's what the life of a believer is all about. We seek and save the lost. We go to war against dark powers, and we help people get free and get their lives straightened out. That's your calling, my brother and sister, and that is my calling. And as we enter into this calling that the Lord has given to us, we're going to find great joy, and we're going to find that the Lord is with us. So let's take our focus off of how happy we are or are not, and if we have enough material things, and if everything's going in a rosy way, and let's focus on this instead and say these are the last days the world's going to get more shook up. We're going to have more natural disasters. We've already read that in Mark 13. This is not our final home. This is the season of harvest. So let's enter the harvest work together. We're going to come back for one more episode on Mark, and we're going to do a roundup of lessons learned. Uh, maybe we'll do a top 10 lessons learned from the Gospel of Mark or something like that in our next thread. God bless you. If you'd like to talk to me anytime, just email me directly, chuck at quinley.com, and we'll see you next time on Threads.